Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room with your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell, interviewing the leading doctors in the country to get insights into the best medical treatments available today. Not everyone has access to the best specialists, but you can advocate for yourself and learn the right questions to ask your doctor and the best possible treatment options. Remember, what you know can make a difference in your healthcare. Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Toxic mold. Even the name strikes fear into our hearts. It sounds like out of a sci-fi thriller, but one that fortunately usually ends when the movie credits appear on the screen. Unfortunately for many homeowners and renters with toxic mold, the movie doesn't end. Toxic mold and its effect on water-damaged buildings is more prevalent than ever. You know, we're all seeing in our life with this whole climate change, with the hurricanes, whether it was Sandy, Irene, or Katrina, the floods, and even just everyday hidden leaks from old pipes and leaky roofs. My guest today, Joseph Reese, is not a medical doctor, but I think his clients would use the moniker Dr. House to describe him. Why? Well, first, unlike Hugh Laurie, uh, that was one of my favorite TV shows, on the TV show House, Joe is not a drug addict, or he doesn't have a limp, he doesn't need a cane, he's actually quite healthy and nimble. I've seen him in his knee pads get into the smallest crawl spaces in my home, seeking and subfinding mold. Joe is the Director of Environmental Sciences at Certified Site Safety of New York. Joe explained to me once, I thought this was really important to think about, a house is a living organism. It needs fresh air to breathe. Do you remember that, Joe? I never thought of my home that way, but now I do. Joe and I will discuss the best ways to assess if you have water damage or mold in your home and what to do about it. So it's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Joseph Reese to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Mitchell. Appreciate that very detailed intro. What I'd like to talk about and answer you is absolutely the home is a system, right? Yeah. We look at the home from inside and out, from bottom to top. As below, so above, we say, and mm-hmm. then vice versa. As above, so below. Yeah. So I'm more concerned with the unconditioned spaces of your home. Yeah. Basement, attic, and as you understood for what you know, we had to go through in, in your own yeah. home. No, I've had it, and yeah. uh, definitely, you definitely saved me on that one. All right, yeah. I'm going to start with some of the things we'll lead into. One, actually, I always like to start with a background question. Now, sure. Joe, lots of kids dream of becoming a pro athlete when they're a kid. Maybe even a doctor. I was, you know, (laughs) my parents, you know, they kind of led me down that path. Some people become lawyers, whether they like it or not. How did you end up a mold buster? How how did this happen? Very interesting, right? Along with my uh, long career here, being involved a lot of home renovation projects in the construction industry and all aspects, started paying attention what happens when a home gets water damaged or you're covering a, a home. And if you understand when you do remodeling projects, what do you find behind the walls? Nobody really pays attention. So I took a step back and started looking at the home in a different perspective. More importantly, what happens to all that old material, aged material, water damaged material when it gets covered up? Lo and behold, over the last four or five years, been really diving into the issues that could affect the occupants of the home. Mm -hmm. So it's been a crusade of mine to really understand And after getting involved 
in different approaches, understanding correlating factors. Doctors like yourself are very interested in what we're finding out there. And it came to be that it's a real big concern of many people. How is your home breathing? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, so my original background is with an allergy. And what used to really strike me back in the old, old days, some of the doctors that trained me would actually say, because they would make house calls to patients and they would see the environment they were living with that was maybe giving their child asthma. And, you know, doctors today, they don't leave the hospital or their offices, let alone showing up at somebody's home like you do, where you can really see what's happening in their environment and what might be causing the problem. So I want to ask you the first question. How do you define for our listeners, what is a water damaged residence or building? I mean, what are we talking about? How much time, how much water? You know, again, roughly, just so people get an idea, because anybody can have a leak in their bathroom. and Absolutely. Yeah, and it has to do with over a long period of time or even a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Within 48 hours, you can have a water-damaged home and not know it. Mm. In the unconditioned spaces, the basement where you don't have ambient conditions, dampness, humidity levels can also act just like a water intrusion event. In the attic, don't have proper airflow, ventilation of the high temperatures in the summer, same thing, create an unbalanced atmosphere, and it could add to these contributing factors. Let's go, for instance, you have a winter storm, snow is built up in your gutters, freezes and lifts up the roof shingles, it's called ice damming, backs up into the attic roof after, Mm -hmm. gets into the floor joists. There's a typical problem that goes unnoticed because you're not checking your attic on a regular basis. Right. I I know I can't climb up there. I mean, it's not at all. You know, unless I have a bat pole or something to go up. Yeah, Yeah, it's very tight. It's very tight. And same thing in a basement. Just think of that area where your Mm. sump pump is. How often are you checking that? Obviously, if you have a heavy rain or a storm, God forbid a hurricane, you're going to be a little more aware of it. But those are the areas that are very suspicious and need to look at. So through this deep dive process is what you got to do. You got to look at everything. And what would you say also, just to give our listeners an idea, because we all think about toxic mold, you see the green black stuff growing, but there's other organisms yep. too. Like Just to name a few for the, the listeners with, that you're looking for. Sure. Not only that, we're looking at different levels of bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. Not surprising to have gram negative and gram positive, okay. actinomyces, mm-hmm. endotoxins, Long-term damage, we see a lot in endotox readings. And then potentially some of these molds will produce mycotoxins, again, if left undisturbed and to grow in the ideal conditions, usually in a basement, crawl space, and attics that are unconditioned. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a pretty good broad-spectrum approach to look at everything. Yeah. Now, the main causes of water damage in a home and buildings, and I hope we can bring up a slide. It's got a blue background. There are sort of like three major categories. There's occupant behavior, building defects, and of course, you know, the natural disasters that everybody pays attention to. What would you say about, for example, the occupant behavior? What are some of the main things that people you should be careful about that, you know, again, I started to learn this because as I said, I've had problems where, you know, just to give an example, like my sons, when they were living with me, when they would be back from college, they would run right. that shower forever and then the water would be dripping out of the, the shower and then lo and behold, steam. my bathroom yep. underneath there, I'd be seeing drip, drip, drip. So yep. let's just talk about first what people's personal behavior, how they could prevent water damage. Sure. Well, obviously, you've touched on a very important subject, showering or in a heavy moisture-rich environment like a bathroom. Mm-hmm. 
exhaust fans are very key here. You want to make sure that older homes don't have it. You're leaving the window open. But the whole goal here is to exhaust these this moisture out of a bathroom, right? Right. If you think of in a basement, dehumidification, so important, doctor. The thing we look at is you want to control between 38 and 42% humidity in a basement. Okay. All right. If you let that go and you're not moving the air, just like a crawl space, very important that you have dehumidification in all levels or all areas of your basement. You know, it's interesting because so many people all the time, especially in the winter when it's dry, they have humidifiers going, but not realizing yeah. in these other little nooks and crannies, whether it's your basement or your attic, you need dehumidifiers, right? Because you've got to keep it dry in there. Otherwise, the bad stuff sets in. It's absolutely 55, 60% guaranteed mold growth. And you could imagine how moist it in those areas. So, yeah. The other point I like to make to listeners, too, is that it's very easy also. I think they're called hygrometers, and I'm sure all yes. these instruments now measure the humidity. So it's not like you have to take out some kind of calculator or need an expensive machine. These things are like $20. Absolutely. I keep them in my different rooms of the house. I mean, it tells you. I see control. that now. Right. Yeah, yep. I, I'm a convert, you know. <laughs> yep. No, I remember when I've you did that. The, I've seen the illnesses now from this. So oh. I... No, I really believe it's so. And what about also, I, I think we should mention this. I mean, some of the people are what I call hoarders. Yeah. They stack books or everything Oof. from all their stuff all over the place. And, and how does that cause a problem? Well, here's the thing. When you settle out in these dust reservoirs, we're looking at all this heavy particulate known as trappings and dispositions. Can you imagine the accelerator that would have if it settles and nobody is disturbing it, it? Right, cleans mm. it, and you have humidity conditions higher in mm. the summer, you now could have potentially microbial colonization. And you'll start to see it, and eventually, as we know, to come to smell it as MVOCs. Mm -hmm. So very concerning when it comes to that. Okay, so the main thing for our listeners before we move on to the next thing is check out, make sure your basements, if you need dehumidifiers, your bathrooms, if you need good ventilation, check ventilation. with the person who takes care of that. Those things make a lot of sense. And don't hoard. That's a key thing. All right. Yes. What yes. about, again, when somebody's looking at, you know, a lot of people are moving into new homes now. When I say new homes, I mean they're right. moving into a new residence because COVID is now shifted people out of apartment buildings. What should they be looking at when they're looking at, I guess, their air systems, their appliances? What, you know, as far as... Yes any kind of defects that would make them more prone to mold? Sure, great uh, question. And what I'd like to tell, and the listeners out there and clients and people I meet, a couple tricks when you walk into a home, you're looking at an apartment, a home, whatever it may be. Yeah. You're going to come in, you're going to stroll, you're going to sense an odor. You're also going to have a flashlight with you, and you're going to look at the registers and supply vents and mm. the returns. Mm -hmm. See if there's any buildup. See if there's any circles, as we know, to say it's colonization. So that would tell you how well that ventilation system is being filtered, possibly not being maintained if you're seeing heavy buildup around these registers. Another trick I like to talk about as you walk through a home apartment, walk into the bathroom. Besides flushing the toilet, lift up the tank lid, turn it upside down, and you'll understand it works on negative pressure, just like an air handler when it sucks air in through a return. We could tell then the condition or the potential air quality Anything in the air as this fine particulate moves through, you flush a toilet, sucks the air in, and it could stick to various surfaces underneath there. 
So you may be surprised to see a lot of suspicious growth. Another indicator that if it's in the toilet tank, it could be in the air. Mm. If it's in the air, yeah, doctors people don't think realize about that. the facilitator. Right. Yeah. yeah. Please also, everybody, when you flush your toilets, keep your lid closed. You don't want that stuff getting yeah. in the air. I mean, people don't realize. Yeah. I mean, it really grosses me out when I go to even public bathrooms and they have no lid, yeah. especially with, even with COVID. It's not a good yeah. thing. But I'm going to share with the listeners my personal story. We were working together on some cases, which I really enjoyed, but I I have to share my personal story because maybe it'll really hit home to people. So I had been living on a place on Long Island for about 30 years and my kids had grown up and they were out of the house. And my wife and I decided to move to a new residence in another part of Long Island. And we saw a house that we liked and we were really excited about. And we did a walkthrough and I'm always, uh, I'm a big basement guy because I like to put my, some gym equipment, a bicycle, TV, you know, the man cave kind of thing. Of course. And I went downstairs to this basement in the new home and it was freshly painted. There was brand new carpeting that was put down. So I was all excited. I said, wow, I see the potential. I can make this into my little gym. But again, we hadn't bought the house yet. We had just looked at it and we were finished and my wife and I were talking about whether we wanted to go ahead. And we decided we really liked the property and everything. And we came back a few weeks later. We put a bid on the house. And again, we did a walkthrough. And again, I headed down to the basement. You know, my wife's checking out the kitchen and all those other <laughs> important areas. I'm down, heading right. down to the basement. And it's funny because the second time I noticed it a little bit more, I walked down to the basement and I'm like, whoa, this is a very strong smell. I couldn't put my finger on it. I wouldn't have said it was mold. It smelled to me more like strong glue. So I was a little concerned. Again, didn't stay down there that long because again, then I had to go back upstairs and we were talking to the seller, you know, all that thing. Anyway, of course, my wife falls in love with the property. She's like, this is the, this is where we belong. I said, okay. You know, about two, three months later, after all, you know, the legal stuff, we move into the house and as we're getting settled in, I'm like, okay, guys, you know, I had some movers helping me. Let's move this gym equipment downstairs to the basement, getting all excited. And the gym equipment's down there. Next day or two, I go down and I'm down there for about 15 or 20 minutes. And I'm like, I can't stay down here. The smell is too strong. I said, I I feel sick, you know, and I've never really been one that's sensitive to smells or whatever. So I tell my wife, and we contact the prior owners and I'm you know, not looking to start a problem. Obviously we bought the house, it's ours. But I said, can you tell me the name of the carpeting place? Because I want to see, maybe they use some kind of heavy glue and it was a lot of area. I said, if I have to, I'll rip it up, but I just want to know. I mean, I want to know what's in the area or is there possibly any, if they're willing to tell me if there was any water damage prior to all that. Because again, nobody, when they're selling you a house or even renting your apartment, they don't tell you these things. This is uh, exactly. kept literally under the rug. <laughs> right? <laughs> the reason yep. I'm telling the story, I think it has a key point. The owners were very nice. They gave me the name of the carpet place. I called the carpet place. I'm all frantic. And I said, you know, I just want to know, did you use you know, a certain kind of heavy glue because it smells so strong? They checked their records. They go, no, Mr. Mitchell. It was actually stapled, the carpet. They didn't use any glue. So now I'm getting worried. Now I'm saying, you know what? There's got to be some kind of crazy mold somewhere. Something is not right. And that's when I reached out to you. Correct. And then you came in full gear. We'll talk about all your devices. And I think I'll leave the audience in suspense what we found. We'll get to that after. My point is that you have to be a little bit of a detective 
for your personal health. I would have gotten sick over time had I spent any significant time down there if I didn't take care of this problem. Absolutely. And one other, I guess, last thing before we start going into a little bit the workup and how you do things, natural disasters, people have them. We've seen, I mean, it's heartbreaking when you see these hurricanes or the Northeasters, you know, it's all on TV and you see people, they're up to their ankles or knees in water. What on God's earth should be like the steps that they could do, Joe? What can, you know, this yeah. is, that's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're going through a lot already, but here's the thing, right? You need to safe off the area. You need to obviously remediate, remove, or I should say mitigate all water, debris. And you're going to have to isolate the home under proper containment. We call it engineering controls. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you're going to have to do an assessment and see what is there so you understand how to treat it and really produce an effective protocol for remediation company to follow. Okay, But at this point, you can understand the mindset and what they want to do and you want to try it out and you're going to put blowers and dehumidifiers, but you're going to spread a problem you don't know you're spreading. Mm. Right? Most of these water intrusion events are category three, which is contaminated waters. Mm. And you're moving all this material and it's moving in two forms it's hard to see and that's vapors and diffusion. If at all possible, as hard as this is, and I, I deal with this every week with patients of mine that have had issues like this, is the yeah. most... The ideal situation to be there as minimal as possible, like to live with friends or relatives That's while correct. this is going on. I mean, as, as heartbreaking as that is, I mean, you're leaving your home, you, you know, yep. you have to keep an eye on it anyway, but this is, is that yeah. the case? Yeah. And that is the case. Avoidance, as we say, wins over, right? Always yeah. fresh air. You want to take a step back and make sure you're protected the right way because you don't know what was in that water intrusion event or unfortunate flood that you may be experiencing. So always best to take a step back, contact professionals, assessor, and start understanding your to-do list from that point. So yeah, if possible, that's ideal. Okay. So one of the things is, is that obviously in assessing, you know, whether you have mold or not, like you, you start to mention I mean, the first thing is visual. If you see Correct. black, green mold growing somewhere, you got a problem and you know it. If you yep. were like me and your nose was pretty good, you, you're smelling something that doesn't smell something. right. You know, and you know, right. I've been to hotels right. or other places where oh, you smell yeah. that mold. At what Correct. point, again, aside from a natural disaster kind of situ- you know, big disaster situation, when do you start home testing or calling in an expert? Like what, what triggers, triggers yeah, what yeah. triggers that? Great question. There's different levels of this triggers or this mindset of uh, homeowners or you know people in their homes. Obviously, you know, you've changed the way you're feeling, how your home is smelling, like you just yeah. talked about. Yeah. And obviously, visual is visualization, why all of a sudden you walk through your garage and you're into mm. your mudroom and you see colonization or black dots or different growth patterns on the walls that right. wasn't there. Right. So you need you need to know to understand what the source is, right? And it's very important. Next steps is to do this assessment or to assess your home to understand how's it getting there, where's it coming from. Okay, so it's very important that you look at that. What some people will do, and this is where I'm going to want your expertise. And I, I talked, you know, because there's, as you know, there's such a wide range of what people can do, and I see that sometimes patients get those mold plates they can buy from certain places, they yes. lay them out. 
Obviously, there's many different companies. Obviously, there's yeah. a question about their reputability, but they, you know, there are a lot of companies doing quote mold testing. So take us through some of the key steps in an evaluation. Let's say we, when you come in, you get called. If I refer someone to you, or again, you get any of your other clients refer you, and they say, "Okay, Joe's coming in." What are you going to be doing to assess the quality of the air? Sure. So. When we meet a client, we want to get to know them. We want to understand through the interviewing process what the situation is about their home, a little bit about their history themselves, and what they're looking to accomplish, right? So with this assessment on the outside, more important than the inside to start with, I want to understand how the house is breathing, how water is flowing away, or unfortunately towards how is the attic cavity vent being vented through soffit, ridge, and gable ventilation? So we'll understand the outside picture. And then we'll walk on the inside and start to understand the ambient levels. Then we go to the subterranean in the basement crawl space, and then we'll go to an attic or a crawl space. The whole goal is to understand the airflow in the home, potential deposits of any suspicious dust reservoirs or colonization or heavy residues that seem to appear. Once we understand the ecology or the home in itself and any kind of suspiciousness, then I'm going to look towards your ventilation system. Mm. Big key component here yeah. in the system, doctors. One of the reasons, um, it's an air facilitator. It's the heart and lungs of your home. Right. That's a good analogy. And if you're sensing something, if you smell something, you see something, you can kind of rest assured through the evaluation of our toilet bowl trick. If you look in moist and rich areas of window sashes and seams of refrigerators and any kind of areas where there's a temperature change. And if you see heavy dust particulate and potential growth, then you know it could be moving around and being picked up into the ventilation system. Sometimes the air handler can show signs of that. We look at radiators. You can look at window units, baseboard units. So the whole goal is the process of elimination and really understand the indoor air quality level. Mind you, this is at a visual assessment point. We haven't talked strategies, whether we want to validate or dismiss or any kind of testing. I want to understand the flow of the house, the open design or the areas where basement, first floor, second floor kind of mix with each other. We call it the stack house effect. Very important to understand how your airflow changes throughout different levels of your home. Well, let's see. Let me ask you a question too, just to stop you for a second. Sure. So, because like obviously we know all these things are fairly expensive but worthwhile. So sometimes right. if you do a fairly thorough visual, will you sometimes say, I don't think we need to do any testing here? Or most cases it does result in really, because you can't yeah. rely on visual. Part two question is, is it easier or harder? I have a lot of patients that live in apartments. I mean, we've been talking yeah. about homes. Is that, I mean, only because it's a twofold approach because on one hand, apartments are typically smaller, but on the other hand, they have no control over necessarily, like say the, the ventilation systems. I mean, that's a building. That's correct. And that's where it gets tricky too. I have patients living in mold infested apartments, but they have no control over so many factors. Airfall, and, that, and you bring up a great question. And the second part, very important to understand, you really have no individual apartment unit, right? Mm -hmm. Some of these buildings, especially in the city, they have a shared stack where you're introducing airflow from one floor to the next. And you can imagine 10, 15, 20 floors here, right. you are sharing air from floor to floor, and that could be an influence. So 
when you look at, and you'll understand as we do going into an assessment, what are you looking to accomplish, right? So we understand all too well the goals of this assessment. We want to know, or the client wants to know, listen, I'm kind of feeling really, uh, I react in the basement. I'm fine when I'm in a bedroom, but you know what? I feel bad all over. It must be something in the air. And obviously it would lead us to a ventilation system potential concern. But for the most part, visually doing through this assessment kind of grades the ecology where we talk, do a little sit down afterwards and understand, listen, I, we can't tell you honestly, again, professional assessments, but without testing to validate or dismiss the problem, we make some recommendations that, hey, you know what? I already know the basement's damp and something that you need to control. We could validate or dismiss, but I can make a recommendation. Dehumidification is a priority here. Same thing in the attic. I have a 75 degree outside. I have 110 degrees in the attic and my air handler's up there. So it's going to tell you the heart and lungs of the home is under some undue stress. So you want to look at different ventilation options. With that said, visually, you can have a conversation, but to get to that definitive level, to always validate or dismiss, we like to do a series of testing if that's in you know the client's need to really understand further. The other point I just want to bring out, and you're, I know you're well aware of this, is that the deception of just air sampling alone without taking the Swifter and all the things that you do, you can miss things because yeah. you said that the mold, especially dead mold, will live on the surfaces. It won't stay airborne. Correct. And then- and their sample is a snapshot in time. Right. Here today, gone tomorrow. Your windows are open. They weren't mm-hmm. for the next day. The heat was on. So, correct. You have to use it in conjunction with a series of testing, which we like to call a sample strategy. It really depends on your overall conditions and what we're looking to accomplish for you. Very important question. All right. So, we're going to get into testing. And I can tell you that I knew nothing about this, you know, five or 10 years ago. I kind of did a deep dive. I always tell the story you know, to my patients that, I'll just diverse for a second, that about five, six years ago, my background's you know, in immunology, and I take care of a lot of chronic fatigue patients and uh, candida patients and all these kind of different medical conditions that are complex. And I was getting calls from patients that were asking me, I think I have toxic mold, can you evaluate me? And I was back again five, six years ago, I said, that's just not my area of expertise. I tried to find someone to refer them out to. I found one person who was really more academic and didn't really you know, want to see patients in practice. So about five years ago, I said, okay, I got to do a deep dive in this. It's the way I approach things. And I did training with Dr. Richie Schumacher, who's quite well known in the field. And I've been doing work with Dr. Neil Nathan, who uh, was on a prior podcast when we talked about also toxic mold and really became educated in this area. And again, you know, doing a lot of the clinical work to help patients that are sick. But Anyway, when I first heard these terms, ERMI and hurts me too, Two. I was like, what is this? You know, this sounds like something, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, an engineer and, you know, an environmental engineering guy should only know. And I hate to say this, but if you polled a hundred doctors, if you found one person who knew what this meant, <laughs> you would yeah. be lucky. So anyway, Correct. I feel fortunate that I do have a pretty good understanding of this, but I want to hear even more in depth about what you have to say. We have some pictorial slides that will accompany what we're going to talk about now for any of the listeners who want to get an idea. So if you could start out talking first about ERMI and then hurts me too about the different molds, because again, most people, when they think about mold, think about, oh, I got, uh, I if I have black mold, I'm, I'm dead. You know, yeah, if I have any other kind of mold, well, yeah. I can live, you know, so tell us what the tests do 
and how you use them in your evaluation? Great question. So obviously an ERMI, like you said, it's an acronym for Environmental Relative Moldiness Index. So for the most part, people are understanding how to use it as a home screen. They want to know what's settled out, right? So if you look at it, well, a lot of people say it could be used incorrectly. It can be not collected the right way. As professionals in this community and like-minded consultants, we want to understand the ERMI to be used as a, more or less, I should say, qualitative type of reporting factor. There's a lot of quantities on these papers, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, there's a lot of numbers. Oh my God, I got asterisks, I got red boxes, I got numbers screaming. Right, what does this all mean? What does this all mean? I'm looking at right now, too, you know, like an ERMI form has all the right. molds listed. And what do you make of that? I mean, are some more important than others? Are, you know, I know there's like a scoring system based on how much is there. Yeah. Yeah, so let me explain. Yeah. Yeah, so group one, you have water damaging molds. There's 26 different species of water damaging molds that we look at that could be really detrimental, not only potentially to the environment, but to the human occupants, if potentially correlatable here. Group two has 10 most common indoor molds that you're always going to find. Mm-hmm. Very common. Mm-hmm. So when we look at group one, we want to look at really the water damaging molds that are most concerning that could produce mycotoxins. Okay? okay. Not that to say you have it, but this gives us a preamble potentially scoring your environment to an index score, mm-hmm. which by the way is a summation between group two, group one, and then they categorize it to different quality levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for instance, if I'm looking at a home and I was told that, hey, we have from the last hurricane four inches of water in our basement. We had carpet finished. We got rid of everything. We did the best we can, but we smell. And we just don't feel right. So I would utilize a potential ERMI approach, but I would want to sample surfaces, areas. I want to get some of the historical dust that's been moved around through this event because we are climate controlling the basement in this case. So after I do this, ERMI. It's also known, by the way, as MSQPCR. We like to, mm-hmm. my mold specific quantitative polymer chain reaction. So MSQPCR is basically an ERMI. But when we go to talk about this, we want to understand the qualitative ability it has. And I'm looking at a few molds here. Let's pick one right off the page. So, for example, penicillium, and I just want to clarify this yes. for the listeners. Penicillium is not penicillin. People always think they're the same. They, they are different. Right. Uh, but penicillium, which is part of the ERMI score, this more extensive 36 molds, is not included, right. as we'll get to after in the Hertzme, which only takes five molds. So we're going to get That's to this correct. difference because sure. you know, why are those five molds? Are they very important? But let's say you have a, a decent amount of the penicillium, one of these species, is that worrisome? I mean, if someone or should someone 100%. say, okay, it is. Okay. Yeah. It's it's very important because it can produce a very important mycotoxin, mm. as well as the aspergillus. In fact, all these water damaging molds on this paper mm-hmm. are concerning. There's really a four or five that'll scream at us right away. Mm-hmm. And obviously you got the dreaded black molds on this paper, which is Stachybotrys chartum. Mm-hmm. You have Ketomium, the sister to black mold, we always call it. Mm-hmm. Aspergillus ochreus, a very damaging water damaging mold, I should say, that produces a mycotoxin called ochratoxin A, which is very common, right, to see that in a lot of potential 
clients we talk to in their own clinicals. Again, I'm here to look at the environment, but it's we know it all too well that some of these could correlate and become a source of a problem. This is so important because I order urine mycotoxins on my patients that right. are having clinical symptoms of possible mold toxicity. And I mean, again, in the ideal world, it doesn't always work that way. It's nice to match sure. it up to what they're actually getting can, in their environment. Right. And you know, it makes more right. sense to them. And and of course, too, they'll feel better if, if this is cleared up, if this is, you know, followed up. So important. And that's why it becomes important in how to take these tests, right? Mm-hmm. We're not there with a Swiffer cloth, dusting the floor, furniture, not doing it the right way. We're looking at historical data here. We're taking dust from reservoirs from higher up in the home, top of the moldings. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to separate it, guys. We're going to do a home screen as you would do. And then I'm going to determine a source through my assessment. I may want to do an actual ERMI in a ventilation system, in the components of the ventilation system, so I can understand what it's really producing at this potential source. Consider it a mold factory, right? And the ambient is the general population. Well, you take two tests. One is a source and one is an ambient composite. And now you can understand maybe the rationale between the two, but you'd be surprised nine out of 10 times the difference we see. And once we identify the source, we always say you remove the source, you remove the problem. But in this case, you fix the source or control the source, you'll control the problem. So it's very important. Joe, can I ask you another thing too? Because again, I'm, I'm very interested in mold, even in my background in allergy, because you know, outdoor mold causes a lot of asthma and issues. But again, on this ERMI score, there's like, for example, aerobacidium, which I'm familiar with. That's an yes. outdoor mold. But That's outdoor. Somebody finds that. I'm looking at a ERMI test you know, from, uh, again, one of these slides we're going to be putting up. It was like right. 13,000. Thousand, yes. But is that you beat important? me to the punch? Yeah, I was going to ask you a question. Extremely important. It is. Okay. Most extremely important. Let me explain why. Yeah. As environmentalists, aerobacidium pollans is indicative of a ventilation system, of the ductwork not being properly cleaned. Uh, I see it so many times. Uh, it leads me or tells me, aha, I'm going to be looking even deeper now into the ventilation system. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, a lot of these older homes don't have hard ducted returns, don't have a complete ductwork system unbeknownst to the homeowner wow. or the renter. Wow. So when we, when we look and you provide this data or we do it and come back, mm. we do our follow-up call, look at what we find, and then starts these asterisks appear in greater abnormalities. We notice that all too well, aerobicidium pollans, you're correct about an outdoor mold because it's pulling it in yeah. in these direct vents, but it's also magnified throughout the ventilation system. Evaporator coils, air handler inside, the fan assembly, filters, filtration. This is a big problem today's ventilation. One of my big crusades is to learn and to understand really not only air purification, but proper filtration and airflow of your system. Big problem. Mm. And how just a good bit some other maybe they're minor molds, maybe they're not like like mucor and rhizopus, epicochium. Again, these are things that we we can even test for analogy, but are they sure. as concerning if they're high or does that tip you off? I mean, because you, you have such a wealth of knowledge yes. on this, yeah? Yes. And here's here's why. Because they're known as a potential feeder mold. Just think of that dust reservoir on the corner of your window sash. You're not knowing to dust a window sash on a second floor in a guest bedroom. Well, if it sits, gets undisturbed, you have certain common indoor molds that are going to land. Mm. We term them as feeder molds. Then you're going to get the aggressive molds coming in that will feed off of that, move around in the Uh-oh. air through the ventilation. Mm. And now it'll colonize, all of a sudden change. 
if you do let long time, it odors. I mean, you'd oh, be sorry, real surprised. What, what, what do you mean by a feeder mold? Again, what do you mean? By the, the mold feeds so the So it's a mold? weaker mold. Oh, it's a yeah, weaker absolutely. mold. Absolutely. Really? It's a weaker mold. So when molds fight each other, that's what you have MVOCs. They're going to shoot oh, off I, mycotoxins. I didn't know they They're going to fight each other. Each other. Interesting. That's I guess right. they could, yeah. Yeah. So you'll get cladosporium outside a lot. Yes. You'll see during this time of the, this time of the yeah. year with the leaf and foliage, exactly. a lot of the rotting, you'll see a little bit more aspergillus than normal, but cladosporium, the number one, it's more of a nuisance mold. Okay. Right? Well, that's good to know too. Yeah. I see that cladosporium and alternaria to me are mainly these outdoor molds when the leaves are on the ground, like right now outside of my house, there's about 10 zillion right. leaves that are falling from so, the trees. Yeah, same here. And I, I've had people, right. when they go out and they're raking up their leaves, they will, you know, if they're sensitive, will get asthma attacks or their sinuses bother them, you know. So but that's a whole different bullion. And that's an allergy versus this causing more of a toxicity. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Again, so, and I know with the ERMI score, they basically say, you know, again, I'm, I want to get your interpretation, like less than 11 is, quote, safe. 11 to 15. And greater than 15 is dangerous. How do you yeah. see the scoring? Is it taken very lightly or is it? Yeah. Again, it's in the perspective of the client or the, or the situation, right? Two things. Safe is a relative word, doctor. Mm. It's a different definition for you and me, mm -hmm. right? We never look or say the word safe, right? Yeah. Since there is none documented out there, EPA, any state law, we look at condition by condition, right? So depends on, as we come to know, different ailments of the client or the occupants in the home. If you have, and if you understand like you do yourself, Dr. Richie Shoemaker, kind of a SIRS category, and that's yeah. where you're going to get to the hurts me too. Well, this chronic inflammatory response syndrome is really, it's very important to understand the levels of this scoring, right? You'll hear most doctors say, I need below, I need between a two and a four, or I need less than a two because I have some other co-infections or other complications in my patients. So guys, we're looking for between a two and a four. And now you get all set up in these numbers. Let's look at what's driving those numbers. And yeah. that's how we get to the individual line items. Okay, so let me just I'll do a little twist on this too. Just I'll say medically, legally, but it's probably more legally. Like if a person's right. trying to get out of an apartment, you know, and there's obviously right. it's a legal case. Is sure. that where this, I guess, falls into being more important? Because again, you know, maybe someone might have- Yes, I've testified with this. And it's, you have. Okay. Not, and it's not so, doctor. Here's the thing. The EPA say it's a testing tool. It's just experimental. Mm. You got to understand how to use it okay. qualitatively. If you understand a DNA process- through the MSQ-PCR, it's producing 99.9% .9 accurate results. So we're going line by line, correlation to a potential ailment that the doctor, an integrative functional medicine doctor like yourself, mm -hmm. has provided us, mm -hmm. then we will do our due diligence. I always say I'm the quarterback, excuse me, the running back to you as a quarterback, but I'm looking for these line items to pop out to do an, aha, I think we might have found the source yeah, or we might have found the problem. Right. So... Not so admissible in a court of law. You got to understand how to use this in what context. Okay. Very important to understand that. All right. Let's talk about the other tests, which supposedly get, you know, some academic people say it's more important, I don't, you know, is the hurts me too testing. So maybe explain what, again, what the acronym stands for and the, what, what they call the fungal five, like why these five yes. are so important. So important. Nice so the hurts me. Yeah. So the hurts me too is an acronym. Basically. Does it hurt me too? It's a hurts me too score. 
basically simply as it's stated, right? Mm -hmm. But interesting, you're looking at these five molds that have certain commonalities that through Dr. Richard Shoemaker's research over, oh, we want to say 900 or so different cases, these were all prominent in each one of his potential cases that he could categorize under the SIRS designation. Mm -hmm. So not in any given order of more severe than the other, but they all have a weighing score system, right? So it's obviously spore equivalents per milligram, but you look at numbers on a paper and we can go between 10 and 100, 101 to Mm -hmm. 200 and that kind of a range. And that's how the weighing score is populated here. But again, this scoring is just a quicker way, a snapshot for the professionals like yourself and a homeowner say, we're almost there, guys. We're out of six. But you know what? I can't have any aspergillus versus color. That's really detrimental to my system and definitely no stack. Trichothecenes are high on my level. I cannot have that. So it's a working game plan if you know how to use it between professionals. So it's very important to understand the abilities you have here. So if you have any of these in your scoring, I mean, it's kind of a serious situation. It could be, right? Because it could be it could be compounded with other type of molds that are feeding us that are not yet there. So we get a present, not present, but more importantly, it could be equivocal. It could be on a cusp of becoming a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So this is a good snapshot in many ways. Current ambient conditions, current source conditions. You know what? If I let this go and we wait a year, right now we're at a 15 or 20. Who knows where we could be? We really have to get to the bottom of this. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of hone in on this. So pretty good, useful approach if you understand the background to it. Do you find that you typically need both the ERMI and the HERTSME? I mean, is it just calculation? So once you get the information, it's just calculating. It's not a special separate kind of testing, really, is it? Correct. It's really depends what reporting. It's a calculation. One lab will include it versus the other. It's just really your means of what you like. And one may be a cost comparison, but generally you should always have it together, whether you do it yourself and they supply charts or you have it done for you when you order the kit. Mm -hmm. Very important. They go hand in hand for what I just explained. It gives you an in-depth snapshot. Like an air sample, now we're getting down to the DNA analysis. We're diving deeper into a situation that eventually we like to understand really what the problem is. Yeah. I've seen, I think you brought it to my house. You know, I have a picture here on one of the slides too. It it looks like out of a movie, those infrared cameras. Do (laughs) do you use those? Yes. You do? Yes, we do. And what what does that tell you? Like, it looks like, you know, like one of those, like one of the, uh, you know, from one of the Navy SEAL units. (laughs) Exactly. I'm I'm doing a body search. I'm looking for it. Because it it senses heat on the surface for that particular instance. For us, we're looking for temperature differences. Yes, heat, but also coldness. And guess what? You know, if you have a water intrusion event, if you have a leak and you can't see it, well, we could tell what a surface change of temperature. Okay. It would display a different color or it would come, if it's monochromatic, we'll see a black spot versus color. We'll see red, blue, orangey. It tells us that's substrate, whether it's sheetrock, even concrete, wood, any kind of material. If it's not of a uniform color, We're now drawn to it. We call that moisture mapping. We now know that, hey, there's a change of surface temperature. Let's dig a little deeper. Let me sense with a pertimeter, which is really a moisture meter. Now let me touch it physically and see if I have anything picked up with that type of meter. So infrareds are very important, very useful tool in this assessment process. 
Interesting. Again, you don't hear a lot about that. I saw that in something else I was reading, and I remember you had that fancy instrument, and I was like, wow, what's what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I get to see. It's like I'm taking an x-ray yeah. while I'm looking at the surface, bouncing temperature readings constantly back and forth, wow. and I'm looking at a range. Yeah. If it's more than 3 4 5%, I know something's going on, right? Yeah. Airflow, it could be in the attic on the second floor. I have a 90-degree, 96-degree sheetrock surface, but the AC's on and says it's 72 degrees. Well, then I know there's a ventilation problem, or obviously there's not warm water, but there's hot air cooking up there in the substrate. So very useful tool to lead us down a path of more diagnostics of your home, and very important. Yeah, I just so my listeners really can appreciate it. I think they do. This is such a science. This is not voodoo. You know, this is not... uh, This is building science. This is building science. You know, and and, you know, we're all more acutely aware of it now too, again, because of COVID, which I think that's the only good thing that's coming out of this, that, I mean, I'm acutely aware in my offices. So for example, that our ventilation is really good and cleaned. I have the maintenance people in my buildings, in my offices where I work, checking the ventilation. I have special... Uh, air purifiers that goes through UV light to kill any airborne substances. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. you know, I think we're all becoming a lot more aware of indoor air, especially since we all spend so much time indoors, fortunately. And you touched on a good subject with air purification. So powerful today to understand the levels of these particulate. You know, most airborne matter and microbial and mycotoxins could suspend, right? Mm. Well below that 0.03 micron that your own air purifiers, you think they're working, but it's not. So we really lead everything back to that heart and lungs of your home is that air handler. Mm. So important you understand every aspect of it. Mm. And air filtration today, like you stated, is so important. We look at higher level MRF rated filtration systems. Mm-hmm. We're looking at ERV, HRV, which is another great subject to talk about in the future, how we're capturing the air drying it out and shooting it back into the ambient atmosphere, even in the unconditioned areas like the attic when an HRV takes out the heat Mm. in a basement and a crawl space. An ERV will recirculate it, dry it out and constantly move air. So now you don't have a stagnant Mm. basement or a stagnant crawl space. Technology's on our side now. We really need to understand our needs. And this is very important now. That's a great yeah, point. Definitely. Um, I'm going to kind of get, as we get a little bit toward the end, but I want to talk about sure. VOCs. Now, just for yes. my listeners who are hanging on, wanted to know what was happening in my basement. That's what, okay. Joe, you ended up finding, which I found fascinating, right. was that I had volatile organic compounds, compounds. Uh, brewing, I think that's the best way to put it, in my basement. Uh, Correct. Can you just mention some of the substances that you look for in these VOCs? Sure. There's actually two types of tests like that. One's a VOC and one's formaldehyde. Yeah. Just think of the glues and resins. Mm. And what did you talk about in the beginning of the program? Yeah. Glue and staple. You know, so we were concerned. And the volatile off-gassing compounds is going to give us a level of many, a library reporting of all chemical breakdowns mm. in the air. Well, where's it coming from? Well, you talked about that carpeting. You talked about sheetrock or freshly painted, right. the padding, whatever was lack thereof. This gives us a breakdown. And then as a side, we're checking for formaldehyde. You had a brand new carpet put down, furniture. So you have off-gassing. So the combination of the two, along with, would be total MVOCs, total microbial volatile organic compound. A very important snapshot. It's an accumulative reporting of all VOCs going on, is there mold now mixing into there? Mm. So this library reporting data is so important. 
as soon as I walked down in that basement, it's very important in, in your unfortunate situation to understand what was going on. Yeah, we were so lucky it got cleared up because you caught it. You know, one of the things I want to point out to the listeners, and we have a slide on this too, they'll be able to take a look at this. You know, sometimes also it's in your workplace. Like, for example, I know when I used to go to dry cleaners, you know, you walk in that smell, there's that, what they call perk, right? The perk, yep. circular chloride ethylene it's hard to say yeah, and yeah. and it's interesting too you know my mom used to own a nail salon and you know for years she was having trouble with chronic you know nasal congestion and drip, chronic rhinitis from the acetone so you know right. even your workplace doesn't have to be your home you have to be aware if you're getting sick what's the air quality that you're getting exposed to what's in it correct yeah and it's long term. Most of us yeah. spend how you know two thirds mm. of our life working, traveling. You know, so you're not in your home. Right. You're out being exposed. Right. So that is so important to understand. And definitely today, as you heard of, you're having more now sick building syndrome. You're having different compounds mix in with a water damaging event. For instance, that old commercial building where you dropped your clothes off in a strip mall, you had a water intrusion event. Not only do you have your organic compounds and chemicals being released, now you could have other substrates mix into it. So we're really concerned. We call that actinomyces, new and upcoming. And we understand it just as well as for an ERMI, we like to understand the gram positive side effects of these environments, mainly when there's long-term damage or an older building, somebody's working in an office, an older apartment, very important to understand it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of segues here. See how we just got off the subject, jumped into another one. So this sample strategy this is, it gets technical. I like to call it textbook for us, but I literally can spend a whole day and we sit down and it's mind boggling. Yeah. No, it's, it's very overwhelming. I know. And look, I had some background in this and, you know, my wife and I are sitting there, you know, I get the tissues <laughs> oh, out and like, oh, this is my home, yep. you know, and you get, yeah. you get very nervous, but you got to take the steps to step. Yeah. You got, you got to present it in a way. Hey, listen, it's important. We don't want it to become urgent. After we leave, you keep the status quo, but you work towards your master plan. You are identified, doctor, four key steps here. You assess, you validate or dismiss through testing. You then embark on remediation and don't forget the build back. Four important steps. The build back means I got to put that bathroom back that was leaking behind the shower. Oh. I got to put that basement back because I ripped up the carpeting. Now yeah. I got to build back. Yeah. I like to walk in so you understand the master plan of cost. My guy, when I come in. Oh gosh, you just led me to my, my final <laughs> area, which is perfect. So let, me, let me just clarify sure. for the listeners because I guess, Joe, what I want to know, and it, it becomes an issue for a lot of my patients. I, I have some heartbreaking situations yeah. where people are in I terrible imagine. situations they can't yeah. get out. What is the key determination in your mind if someone has to move out or can remediation solve the problem? Some problem. And the financial issues and typically, you yeah. know, is it ever covered by any entity, whether it's insurance, insurance. or the, the building that, you know, the owners of the building take, take me through some of that. Cause that's, that is one of the other heartbreaks in this area, you know, where I, I'm trying to get people yeah. better, but they're like, Whoa, this is a, you know, some of them obviously don't want to leave or don't have somewhere else to go. Their kids go, go to school there. And they're like, I got to stay right. here. And the other ones, right. it's like, I don't have the money to remediate. So take me through a couple of these key things. Sure. So we're hours into our assessment. We're at the table, cup of coffee, drinking a bottle, whatever it may be. And now's the time. What are our next steps? So we look at what are you looking to accomplish again? So we, I will handhold this. The goal here at the end of the day, 
And by the way, truly, a doctor like yourself could only tell a client, a homeowner, that their house isn't suitable. Right. Given all our certifications, and right. I have a few, I'm not legally to tell you, you got to get out. Oh my God, on a scale of one to 10, what do you think? I, I say, listen, red light or green light, let's play. I'll tell you the making of a red light. You know what? You got a green light here, but I'd be concerned. So I would start easing into this conversation. Here's the goal. Four key words. The best you're going to do is reduce the load burden. At all costs, reduce the load burden. Think about that. Well, what do we mean? How many people could take out their checkbooks and just do what it takes? Mm -hmm. None of us, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to look at your situation. Is it worth remediating? Can we do it in stages? Mm -hmm. Again, we don't live in the attic. We don't live in a basement, but it does affect your airflow. Let's look at the source areas, handling those. Maybe you can understand how to wipe down and clean to a certain procedure yourself. Mm -hmm. But we want to understand at the end of the day, you do the best you can. You hire the right team and you work together to reduce the load burden. And you want to understand a lot of times we get presented with clinicals. I did my own this, but look at my report. Look Mm -hmm. at my testing data. Mm -hmm. Great. I could try to correlate. I can compile data, but your doctor will have the definitive answer. But we certainly can work as a team, but let's develop that strategy. And that's what we call a protocol. And that's kind of how we like to hand it off. But this is a crawl, walk, run process. And it's a results-driven process, for sure. Do people have any kind of coverage from homeowner's insurance, renter's right. insurance? Because I typically, I, I know even during the uh, the hurricanes and all those awful things, there was like insurance. We don't cover mold damage. We don't cover floods. And then it went to FEMA, like, you know, where the FEMA stepped in, yep. the government. I mean, but... Flood insurance and so on. Right, but Correct. sometimes it's not a natural disaster. If you have somebody yes, that, the disaster is, unfortunately, sometimes done within the home. Exactly. So is it, what's the coverage on that? Is there any, I mean, what do people do? Again, everyone's individual policy states clearly as we try to guide them into that area. At the end of the day, we come to know insurable water intrusion events have to be sudden and impactful an act of God, something you didn't cause for a lack of maintenance. Mm. You have to understand, oh, the pipe burst behind a dishwasher, ice maker, water line popped off, didn't know it. That potentially can be an insurable water intrusion event. Why would that be allowed, you're saying? Again, sudden, impactful. You didn't cause it. You didn't know about it. Okay. It's a leak that you could understand that was really caused by an act that you didn't do anything with. What would be one that you did do something? I mean, like what? <laughs> like you just took a hose and, and just, you know, flooded the apartment on purpose? It's pretty crazy to say you did something. But insurance say, as we come to understand it, is they have a lot of fine lines with groundwater, mm-hmm. vertical water coming from a foundation or high water table. It's not covered, right? So ice damming. That could be covered because it's lifting up the mm-hmm. shingles and damaging the wood and getting okay. into the home. Okay. Again, what you could be doing, there's really nothing that you're going to cause. It's just the insurance companies have a well-written document and addendums and rider attachments that they're real specific for. Is there anything like like a nest-like thing? Like, you know how people can check if they're away from yes. their home to see if they're, you know, the temperature in their house. Like, obviously, God forbid, like in a winter you know, you, you leave, you know, you go on vacation or you go, you know, visit some friends or relatives, you wait for two weeks and it's the dead of winter and you don't want the pipes freezing. And if you're able to check your nest, you say, oh my God, my home yes. temperature is uh, 43 degrees. It's dropped. Right. Not good. Is there anything not equivalent good. to that in uh, 
Yes, you have. You obviously have sump pump alarms, right? Okay. So you do have water management systems. We have float switches in drip pans of ventilation, air handlers. Mm. So you can actually put a floor switch in a basement where if it senses water, it'll sound an alarm. Oh, interesting. It'll send a Wi-Fi signal to your app. Oh, really? Yes. There is some great technology out there, people. Definitely, you can watch your home from abroad right through your phone. Oh, wow. That's good to know. All right, you'll have, yeah, to give me that, you'll have to give me that information yeah, after. Definitely. Okay, so this was awesome. I thought it would be. I really hope my listeners appreciated this, the kind of detail that Joe gives in, in this very murky area where, unfortunately, medical doctors, it's just not their expertise. Uh, Joe, is there any place where listeners can reach out to you or get from your company for advice? Where would you? Uh, yes, our, our website, but as well. Reach out directly to myself or the office, all that information. I always answer the phone. I'm a crusader here. I want to bring awareness and I want to make sure you understand your indoor air quality. Okay. It's so important. And most people don't understand, but yeah, I'm definitely available. That's what I do every day of the week. I said a lot of times up. And where would that be? Would that be to your email at? uh... Yeah, it's jr at csswbe.com. Okay, that's okay. great. And to my listeners, please, if you have any questions from today's podcast, go to my Instagram or Twitter account. As I said, we're going to try to put up some slides later in the week to just kind of reinforce what we've talked about on the smartest doctor in the room. And also, if there are any questions, I'll try to answer as many as possible. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a review if you did. Thanks again, Mr. Joe Reese, for your expertise on... My pleasure, Doc. How to avoid our home from killing us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a disruptor, but a good one. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room with host Dr. Dean Mitchell. You can continue this conversation on Instagram at Dean Mitchell MD, Facebook at Mitchell Medical Group, or at DeanMitchellMD.com.